Welcome to First Time Parents. I'm Heidi Anderson and uh, my husband is officially on a boys weekend. So I have bought in the very best. You would, I'm assuming you would know as a first time parent, you would have to know the beautiful Sophie Walker. She is host of Australian Birth Stories, uh, 3 million, almost 3 million downloads and their third birthday. Hi, Soph. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Oh my God, I'm so pumped to have you. And, you know, I just, I thought the topic that we're going to talk about today, I was like, I couldn't even do it with Griffo anyway. So I'm kind of glad that he's left me for a boys weekend. Yeah, mum to mum. Yes. Well, if you are joining First Time Parents for the first time, it is an unedited, unfiltered podcast sharing its We share all our shitty and glorious moments as first-time parents uh, to the beautiful baby boy. I always say the beautiful baby boy, our beautiful baby boy, (laughs) Memphis, who just turned nine months. Uh, We have an awesome private Facebook group. If you want to check that out, do come along to that. And um, we're actually hosting a baby brunch on the 28th of June. Tickets are 60 bucks. All experts in one place. Now, I'm not calling myself an expert. I will be the host (laughs) talking about my journey as a first-time parent um, along with Amanda Rowe from Feeding Friend. Um, She's the inventor of this amazing feeding pillow. Um, Bub to Sleep, Donna Moala will be talking about sleep. Susie Prout will be talking um, lactation and um, she's also an amazing midwife. And then we have the motherhood hub, Kristen, who will be talking about like mama mindset and connection and that kind of thing. So we wanted to bring everyone into one place for a couple of hours. You don't have to get out of your pajamas. It's online. Tickets are 60 bucks. If you want to come along, HeidiLeeAnderson.com. So, Soph, the reason why I wanted to get you on is I think as mums, I mean, you're a mum of three. Yeah. You would have definitely learnt a lot postpartum. I think we kind of go into becoming mums a bit blind and there's so many things that people don't talk about. Yeah, nearly every woman I interview says that. I was so prepared for the birth, which is amazing, and I definitely encourage, but I was not prepared for postpartum or breastfeeding or the first kind of six weeks post-birth. Everyone's kind of just in the deep end. Yeah, and I think that's why I wanted to talk about this because I thought there's so many, you know, first-time parents that listen to us and um, expectant parents, and there's so many things that I wish that I'd been told, some of them funny, some of them not so funny. Um, (laughs) But one of them was, uh, and, you know, we we spoke about this when we recorded my birth story with you, so I didn't know that I um, was going to bleed out my vagina from a C-section. I know. I didn't know that either for a long time because I kind of thought once they were in there um, in surgery, I thought they kind of suctioned all the blood out for a C-section mum, but definitely not the case. Yeah. And I also think because um, I had uh, the whole water breaking, like he actually broke my waters and I always do the fisting sign when I do that. And it's just (laughs) so inappropriate. Um, but I think because he broke my waters, that's also why I bled a lot. And so I was, you know, everyone was like, get heaps of maternity pads. And I remember thinking, oh, well, I don't even need them after having my C-section. But I was, you know, like wearing diapers and everything. Yeah, and it's for weeks too. So I reckon stock up yourself if you're a first-time mum listening now. Stock up yourself first because I've sent my husband to get me some more and he never came back with the right thing. So make sure you get <laughs> the ones you want. Yeah, don't leave it to the hubbies. Oh, um, so what about you? You've interviewed so many mums and so many, you know, women across, you know, with your with Australian birth stories. What has been one of the biggest things that you've learnt 
over, you know, the time that you were like, oh, shit, I wish someone told me that. Yeah, well, I started the podcast after I'd had my second baby. So when I had my first, I was um, a lot less educated about these things. Yeah. And I found I found breastfeeding, my first boy was 4.4 kilos. He was big <gasps> and hungry. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just all the colostrum. I didn't, nobody told me that people would be standing over you milking you, <gasps> like a midwife either sides, like squeezing you. And then at one point, I've got a really great picture of my husband. Yeah. Um, milking me and trying to catch it all in a little syringe and stuff like yeah that you'll probably be milked yes <laughs> and it is so weird like that's so true I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and there was a nurse sitting there milking my boobs after my c-section and you know to run down the claustrum to memphis in neonates and i had no idea and like just even the whole process of pumping your boobs is very um confronting isn't it the first few days I mean now I'm so used to it but the first few days you're like what the fuck I feel like a cow I know yeah and are you so exhausted that you're just like yep okay just do what you gotta do (laughs) oh and what about um I didn't know this as well that your uterus contracts when you start breastfeeding Yes, as it goes back. There's a, I had a, the proper name and now I'm not going to remember it. There's this particular name for the way that the uterus contracts and goes back down into the pelvis for where it sort of usually lives. And they get worse. They tend to get worse yeah. with each pregnancy because your poor uterus is tired. Oh. And they can totally shock you. Yeah, totally. And, like, there's just so many things with breastfeeding, isn't it? Like we joke around about the pumping and stuff, but I think, like, I wasn't, you know, and we spoke about this on your podcast, I, I was so prepared for my birth or what I thought I wanted that I was fo- so focused on that, that I, I think that we need to talk about how hard breastfeeding is, you know, after you've had your baby, like, and it's not necessarily always an easy ride or your baby won't necessarily know what to do and neither will you. Yeah. And I, my mum, we were living at my mum's when I had my first baby, which was beautiful and a little bit strange as well. But she yeah. was saying, oh, I think he's really hungry. You need to give him boiled oh. water. And I'm like, nobody does that anymore, mum. Like, that, that is not a thing. And um, so I'm on the on the phone to the um, Australian Breastfeeding Association going, like, he's still crying, he's still hungry, and I've, like, haven't stopped feeding for 12 hours, it felt like. It's um, so, so hard to navigate that. Oh. And I, I've heard people doing that course before they've had their baby, which I think would be an amazing idea. Yeah, that's quite smart, isn't it? Because that's the thing that I struck. Like, I reckon, had I have not had support with Griffo and my mum, because they knew that I both really, like, both of them knew that I really wanted to give breastfeeding a go. Because before I even fell pregnant, I was like, oh, breastfeeding's disgusting. Like, you know, they're my sex organs. And then as soon as I had him, I was like, oh my God, breastfeeding's amazing. Like, I want to keep doing it. You know, like, the connection was just blew my mind. So I had the support to keep going. But I can understand why people want to give up. Like, Memph wasn't latching. He was getting labelled, you know, as a lazy boy and this and that. And oh, and then, you know, you're pumping as well to, like, to help your milk. And there's all these, you know, and I remember my friend going, oh, you're really in the trenches, aren't you? And that's really what it felt like. It was yeah. literally one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. And, you know, I'm proud of myself now because I've got to nine months and, you know, I, I had nipple shields, I had all this stuff. And I mean, if you've never heard of a nipple shield as well, make sure you ask your midwife about that too. Hey, 
Oh, so good. I relied heavily on that with my first as well. And I remember crying when it had fallen out of my bra because I used to keep it in the middle of my bra. You did? I was like, well, I can't feed, so, like, I need to find a chemist ASAP because um, I just couldn't. Yeah, that the first few weeks we re- just used that exclusively. And you hear or you hear everything, nipple confusion, and you don't want to introduce something else. And But I think they're a fantastic bridge between, like, if you're perhaps heading down needing to use formula or... Um, you're kind of introducing a bottle if you try the nipple shield first is a hot tip yes ahead of time yeah definitely like it was a game changer for me um speaking of nipples did you get massive nipples as well because i couldn't believe how mine grew and how they went darker so dark and mine haven't i mean i've been breastfeeding for a for quite a few years now, I guess, but mine haven't changed. I like, do they go back to how they were or yeah. they like just huge and they almost take up your areola, almost takes <laughs> up like your whole boob. <laughs> yeah. They literally like dinner plates, hey? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten what normal ones look like now. So yeah. I guess that's probably good. I think I didn't have big nipples before and now I actually do. And I, now I think about it, I'm like, my nipples are kind of like my mum's nipples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, on the blood on the blood loss as well. Um, we yeah. mentioned clots. Did you get a lot of clots? Yes. Yeah, yep. and that can be terrifying if you're yeah. not expecting them as well. Well, I think I told you on your podcast, and I've definitely spoke about it on um, ours when I talked about our birthing story, but when I went down to see Memphis neonates the next day, no one told me to wear undies because I had this big ginormous pad on because I didn't know that I was going to bleed from my vagina because, like I said, I thought I'd had surgeries and, you know, nothing had ever fallen out my vagina before from surgery when I had my gallbladder out. But when I got up and stood up, it was literally like a gush of blood, just like a, like someone had been murdered all over the floor. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, what is happening to me? And I was already felt like I had the, you know, the baby blues on day two. It was really quite confronting. It's full on. And I always feel like you need a friend that you can text pictures of, like, discharge and clots and yeah. things like that too because <laughs> I, I can do that with my sister. But yeah. I'm like, all right, is this normal, yes. like, warning of images coming through? It's so <laughs> but, true. Because um, you think, like, is, is this another placenta? Like, I mean, you you obviously need to get some things checked to make sure that, you, that you've definitely passed all your placenta. But it is quite normal to get big clots but yeah it's full on yeah it is full on and you know another thing that I wished that um people had told me was that my baby blues were going to be literally one of the hardest things also to have to deal with because what day did you get yours on Soph? I think like day four or five I didn't get my milk in for a long time with my first and I think I was more emotional with his birth because his birth didn't really go to plan um yeah, about day four and I just, yeah, and it's so confusing even mm. if you know everyone's saying, oh, watch out for it until it hits you and then it's even still hard to decipher once you're in it as well and then go, oh, okay, okay, this is like a hormonal shift and yeah. it is quite normal. But it's, yeah, it's derailing as well. Oh, I reckon, so I had, I reckon I had it on day two but I also had it on the first day we came home from hospital when my milk came in as well. So I had it yeah. on the second day and I reckon that was maybe a come down from the birth and stuff. But I, and you know, Memph being in neonates and that, I felt really disconnected. And then um, on the, I think it was, yeah, the first day we came home. So it would have been day five or six and my milk came in and 
I remember the lactation nurse was coming over and, you know, to check on me because I was struggling. And I remember my mum had sent her out because none of Memphis's clothes had fit, like would fit him. They were all too big. And I remember I sent my mum out and then she didn't get the right thing. And I literally sat in the bedroom on the floor crying my eyes out. It was, you know, and just this feeling of literally depression, like, and, you know, I remember just feeling so low and for me, I felt like, and I don't know if you felt the same, but it felt like it gave me a little bit of a, um, an idea of what postpartum depression would feel like. Um, I was lucky that it didn't go on for any longer than those couple of days, but it really gave me a little bit of perspective of how hard it must be for women battling that. Yeah. Yep. I definitely agree. And mine didn't last too long. And I thankfully had a huge support system. So I was getting lots and lots of help, which I think really helps that as well. But um, yeah, it's yeah. When you can't, when you're looking at this beautiful baby and you mm. just should feel like you feel like you should just feel your happiest and then you just don't, it's confusing. It really is, isn't it? And I think on that note, another thing that I wish that I'd been told, and, and that's another reason why I love sharing it on stay home mums and that kind of stuff. And through my socials and stuff now is that it's okay if you don't fall in love with your baby the second you meet them. Yes. Yep. Like, that's another huge misconception, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we know that with the guys, there's kind of like leeway with the guys, like they can get away with it because they didn't carry the baby and stuff. But I think because of hormones, just because, of you know, um, m- maybe like a trigger in anxiety or depression, or just sometimes people just don't connect straight away. It takes time. Like, cause I remember feeling like Memph was a total stranger. I loved him and I did feel connected to him, but I still felt like he was a total stranger. Yeah, my third didn't look anything like my first two boys and it just he just felt like a real stranger and I, I was telling like close family like I'm doing everything for him and I'm like very fond of him but I don't feel that overwhelming love that I initially felt with the first two boys and then I felt guilty for not yeah. feeling that but it definitely, it, it felt for me it felt like it banked up and then when it hit me I got all of it in one go. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one thing that I want people to remember. It's okay if you, you know, because you hear everyone like, oh, I fell in love with him straight away the moment or her this moment they came out and blah, blah, blah. I think just don't be hard on yourself because don't you reckon it's kind of like when you become a mum, you know, it's literally like someone implants guilt into you. Like it's like a little chip. Here you go. You're going to feel guilty for the rest of your life. Mum guilt is real. Yeah, which is, it's awful and it's, yeah, ever present, I think. Mm, I felt so guilty about so many things. Another thing that really um, made me feel strange as a mum the first time is everyone kept saying, you're fine, Heidi, trust your gut, trust your gut. But I felt like my gut had no idea because I was just so in the, you know, like that sleep deprivation bubble. Yeah, and until that fog kind of lifts, I don't think you even know what what you're thinking is right. Yeah. You're so tired and exhausted. You can't, you, you haven't got that kind of connection to what you want to do. Yeah. And, and when you start being able to like read your baby and see those signs, it's after, it's after quite a few weeks. So you just kind of. Yeah, floating around for that, for the initial stage. So true. And there's so many other things that come with that, isn't there? There's like the postpartum night sweats. Did you get those? 
oh yes and nobody tells you no it. and I'm like what I, I yeah like why am I changing my pajamas and my sheets and then <laughs> yeah. someone told me oh you just put a towel down like but no one tells you that yeah that's a really good tip put a towel on your pillow put a towel on your um bed so you don't have to do all the sheets because you've already got milk coming out as well you're like am I in a pool of milk or what's going on <laughs> yeah all the blood you know from when um you know yeah. from childbirth there's just so many things it's like um, fluid, yeah, fluid coming from everywhere. I, I um, remember people talking about hair loss, but I honestly didn't think that it would happen to me because I thought that it happened straight away. So what I didn't realize that it happens normally about four months postpartum. So when I started, I went to the hairdresser, I think, and she was like, oh yeah, you've um, lost all your hair around here. I'm like, what? Oh my God, I already have really bad baby hair at the front. So now it's just, I've got a constant, like pretty much just a tiny fringe that's like one centimeter and it's just like spike up the top. I know. And I think hairdressers try and sell you all these fancy products and, and there's plenty of different vitamins, but it's just normal to lose it. You sh- I think you shed it, yeah, around four months, which coincides with the sleep regression. Ugh. So that's a bit brutal. You're getting no sleep and now all your hair's falling out. Oh, my God. And the sleep regression. Yeah, people know this, regressions. And, and a lot of people go, yeah, but that's progression because they're, you know, um, making leaps and bounds and, you know, meeting milestones and stuff. But the sleep regression at four months is actually real. Yeah, because you've had a taste of sleep again and then mm. you realise what you're missing, I think. Yeah. Um, it was funny when I first met you, Soph, the first thing, and, like, there's so many things that we're bouncing around today, so I hope we're not overwhelming all you first-time parents and um, exp- or there's a lot of first-time parents nodding away and then expected parents going, what the fuck do I really want to listen to? Um, But when I first met you, Soph, we spoke on Stay Home Mums and we spoke about sex. And that is one thing that, you know, we probably don't talk a lot about because it's taboo in general, which is just so weird because it's like how we create these beautiful little miracles. And, you know, there shouldn't be any shame in sex. But you and I spoke about Vagifem. Femme. (laughs) Do you want to tell everyone what Vagifem Femme is? (laughs) Now we have a series of strange voice messages every time we need to like buy it or use it. Yeah, Um, yeah, so you you can get recommended. I mean, you need to see a doctor about it. It's a prescription. Um, But my GP said, oh, look, it's great for um, vaginal dryness. It's like you become premenopausal yeah. in your vagina. Like it dries up and the skin is like, yeah, easy to break. So I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones as well. I've got a prolapse, so I'm already um, dealing with pelvic floor issues. But, um, yeah, so Vagifem is like a really tiny tablet that you insert like as if you're using a tampon applicator kind of. Yeah. And then um, you just do it. I do mine at night. I think that's when you meant to do it. Yeah. And it, yeah, over time just helps heal that skin and, um, yeah, and helps with lubrication as well. But um, we were chatting because I said, oh, I took it for like a few weeks and then stopped taking it. You said, oh, no, I think you can keep taking it. So I'm back on it. Yes. Great. You can take it the whole time you're breastfeeding, I've heard. Oh, my God. It's so good. Like, and the thing about it, because I remember we had sex when we were five, after five weeks at and purely because I wasn't horny when I was pregnant and I hated sex and I didn't want to be touched, that then all of a sudden I just wanted to connect with Griffo again. And I actually just really kind of wanted to see, like, what was going to happen, you know. And I think we had yeah. sex and we did an episode on it. I think it's like episode five or something like that. And we had sex and it was it was good, actually. But then after that, it must have been because my breastfeeding and everything kind of, you know, really kicked in and stuff 
that the next few times we tried to have sex, it was horrific. And it felt, I honestly believed that I thought that I'd closed over and I was like, he must have injured me when he, you know, did my waters or, you know, it's trust me to have a broken vagina and all this stuff. And I was so in my head. And then when I went back to my doctor, he was like, oh, check it out. And he checked it out. He's like, everything's fine, Hines. He's like, you just need a bit of veggie fem. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, what's Vagifem? <laughs> and lubricant too. Yeah. And now it's actually, it makes me horny. Like I, I think because I've, I don't think I've had that, is it estrogen for years? And now yeah, I'm yeah. like, it's oh. really low dose estrogen. Yeah. I feel like I'm back. Oh, it hasn't had that effect for me. But um, breastfeeding, um, breastfeeding just naturally really lowers your libido for a lot of people, not everyone. But um, that's a yeah a common side effect of feeding. So often when you stop feeding, all those hormone levels will regulate again. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, when you mentioned that you spoke about your pelvic floor before, that was another thing. Mm. I ended up seeing um, a beautiful girl called Anna. I want to get her on the podcast as well. She She's a um, women's health physio here in Perth and she helped me. So I pretty much, even before I was pregnant, I would pee when I would sneeze. I had the worst pelvic floor. And then I thought, holy shit, I better do something about this. And then everyone kind of talked about how even if um, you don't have, like if you have a strong pelvic floor and you do all your pelvic floor exercises, your baby sits on the pelvic floor, which I didn't really know any of this and how big the pelvic floor is. I thought it was just a tiny little thing and you pumped your vagina and then, you know, like, and that's what I said to her. I was like, don't you just pump your vagina? She's like, no, you move a whole massive muscle around there. So that is something that I think that women should really talk about more and actually do something about the proper way to do your pelvic floor. Yeah, you should definitely get her on because it's almost like a big sling that holds everything together. Yeah. And I think people who have a cesarean feel like they've gotten away with that, that because they haven't had a vaginal delivery, that I mean, not gotten away with anything, but we'll no, I, pelvic floor problems, but yeah. it's carrying the baby in the weight of the pregnancy. So delivery method has a small effect, but not a huge effect. Yeah. Whether you need to on that. 100% because that's it. Like, cause, and uh, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, well, my pelvic floor is going to be so strong because I didn't have to, you know, and she was like, no, hides the baby sat on your pelvic floor. Like you said, a sling. That's a great way to describe it. Um, yeah. yeah. And you can be overactive as well. You can hold on to it too much subconsciously. You're always contracting. So people have to work at really doing a proper contraction and releasing it properly. Oh, who bloody knows how to hold on to it properly? I could barely get mine to go at the start. <laughs> I know. It's funny. <laughs> oh, so funny. And I yeah, love how they Yeah, so you definitely go and see a yes. physio. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also they do like little ultrasounds. That's how they can tell what your pelvic floor looks like and you do exercises that way. But I'll definitely get Anna on the um, podcast. I um, also yeah. thought one thing that we should probably talk about is how um, you don't shower for days at the start and, like, that's okay. And sometimes you might walk around with vomit in your hair for at least seven days and there's that's no biggie either. Just let it become your life. It's it's fine, isn't it, <laughs> to just let yourself go? It is. <laughs> yep. Oh, I don't know. With my third, though, I'm like, it's also fine to let your baby cry a little bit so you can have a shower because <laughs> I, I just was famously taking the rocker into the shower and having a shower and heap grizzle throughout it but I'm like I'm just going to do this so sometimes crying's okay yeah and you know what it is, it is funny as you get more confident as a parent because you know how we talked about them being strangers and you know you you want to wrap them up in cotton wool and I think that's kind of what you do at the start and you really just have no fucking clue like you're just going so blind and I remember um now one of my biggest pieces of advice is I was like 
you don't have to change the baby every time you get up in the middle of the night. And you know when the, those first few weeks where it's literally yes. every few hours to feed them, like every two to three hours, I would always change his nappy. I don't do that that often now. Like, yeah. Oh, I never do a night nappy change unless yeah. there's like a real explosion, but never. Yeah. I don't think from birth with my third, he's just like, no. Nah. <laughs> and, and you can, if you go up a size or get a really good quality nappy for the nighttime. So the last thing you need to be doing is another nappy change if you don't have to. Yeah. And like, but I wish someone had told me that. And Griffo's like, I'm pretty sure I tried to tell you that. And I was like, no, you didn't. I, I said, you know, I'm pretty sure I would have stopped. And he's like, no, you kept saying, but the poor little thing, he doesn't want to be in his wee and poo. And <laughs> whereas now I'm like, shit, that's, a, that's, I wish someone told me that. Like, because, you know, like I said, because that's a lot of the time when I'd wake him up those first few weeks. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because you're undoing the, all the warmth of the sleeping bag and everything. And how good I love to dream swaddles are <gasps> my favourite thing. Oh, my God. Crazy. They actually just finished sponsoring the podcast. They are a game changer. Oh. Yeah, because someone was saying to me, like, um, you'll work it, you'll find out. I think because I put a call out on my Instagram to see what other people, you know, what um, tips other people had and advice other people had. And a lot of people like that swaddling is not easy. <laughs> No. Yeah. Especially when you're tired. Yeah. I'm not a good swaddler. Not at all. And, you know, the fact that I got some of those love to dreams was, like I said, the best thing, especially at 3 a.m. in the morning. Well, that's the last thing you want to do is trying to swaddle your baby. I know. I take them into hospital and I put them straight into a butterfly suit. I almost cried when Otty outgrew them because they're so cute. I know. But sleeping bags are a game changer too. And I think we did um we yeah. did an episode on baby products. And what would be, okay, just side note, what would be your favourite baby product that you want to tell everyone about? Oh, you put me on the spot. Hmm. Um, I really love the Ergo 360. Oh, my God, me too. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they actually sponsored a podcast earlier as well. But they, yeah, I I, honestly, I use Baby Carrier every day without fail. Yeah, they just love it. And again, I've got a few beautiful wraparound ones, like the great big bits of fabric, and they're gorgeous to look at. But again, I just never had the energy or the space, especially with other kids. I just couldn't do all the wrapping. Yeah. Throw on the ergo. It's perfect. Yeah, so good. Um, what about, I don't know about you, Sophie, but the things that I was Googling when I first had Memphis were stuff like, um, why is my baby farting louder than my husband? Um, is that <laughs> normal? Uh, did you ever wonder like, what the fuck is that racket coming from the bassinet? How does that baby have such a loud so trumpet <laughs> And no one tells you about the um, amniotic fluid that they spit up, that they are so gurgly and that they can kind of get a little bit choky and kind of, yeah, that it can really bubble out of them. Did Memph do that? Yeah, and because he didn't go through the birth canal, they say sometimes that's squeezed out, that when they're C-section yeah. babies, um, sometimes they have that on there. And, yeah, I was Googling in the middle of the night, why is my baby grunting and groaning and making so many loud noises coming out his bum? <laughs> and they do they calm down but it's that initial stage i know my friend's like we're not sleeping in the same room he's so noisy yeah yeah i just i think because you know they say oh he slept like a baby so you think like that's peaceful sleeping like a baby is yeah. not peaceful is it they're piglets <laughs> <laughs> um i also was googling like why does my baby have pimples why is my baby's feet and hands peeling like no one told me that that would be quite normal too yeah, and I think is it like six weeks they suddenly go all rashy and pimply, which is often when you start like showing them off a bit more too, and they're yeah. not looking their best. 
Yeah, I know. And they've and like they've little milk pimples. And then what about that little milk yeah. blister on the lip as well? If that's if you're breastfeeding, you get. And so I, yeah. yeah, I started asking questions like, what um, has Memphis got like a little growth on his lip? And people are like, oh, no, that's just a, a milk blister. I just made me think of um, with feeding then a really great product that I love is yeah. the Body Ice Woman Ice Packs and Perineum Strip. Did you use them? Yeah, so I didn't have to use the strips, but I definitely used the um, the boob ones. Yeah, so good. And the Perineum Strip, if you buy that while you're pregnant, is so good for hemorrhoids, another great thing <gasps> no one tells you about. Oh, my gosh, yes, hemorrhoids. I definitely had one of those. Uh, I mean, I had one before, but it obviously just popped out again after. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. would that have been from childbirth or just because actually now I'm thinking about it because I didn't push down there? Oh, yeah, it's just the blood flow to the area oh, the okay. pressure of the baby oh, and okay. things. I okay. Think, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? My boobs actually really hurt. Um, so I used those um, those packs on my boobs when I was pregnant because getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning when I was working in breakfast radio and it was freezing cold in winter, my nipples felt like they were going to fall off. So I would heat them up in the microwave every morning before I would jump in the car. Yeah, you can get, I don't know if anyone's ever mentioned vasospasm to you before. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the blood flow to your nipples and stuff and it can, yeah, it's a bit like chill blains and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's... The blood flow to that area that can, yeah, makes it intensely. Yeah, intense. so because it was like out of control, like made me feel sick and really felt like someone was soaring off my nipples. Didn't happen after. Like I've had actually no issues with my nipples or anything. I've had a blo few blocked milk ducts, but... Um, yeah, but it, mine was when I was pregnant. Yeah, it's funny. And that was your first sign of that you were pregnant, wasn't it? Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. And so how's this as well? I got an earache. The same thing happened to my mum when she fell pregnant. She had an earache. Oh, balance kind of related. It's yeah, weird. isn't that weird? But it's all to do with hormones yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, well, before we wrap this up, I thought – um, it's something that we've spoke a little bit about, about on stay home mums at the moment. And I think this is something that is quite important for everyone to talk about as well is your relationship after your baby. What would be your advice? Because I think sometimes, you know, and like we've said it a couple of times, you focus so much on the birth and then there is so much around the breastfeeding and the baby and stuff that sometimes your relationship, and we do hear a lot of people's relationships fail in the first few years because, um, it's fucking hard. Like what would your yeah, what what's so different? Yeah, what's your learning and like how's your relationship been and you know what's your piece of advice? We've been good, although in saying that, it's like while we're oversharing, um, we've just had some couple counselling last week just because parenting three kids and COVID just been really exhausting, and it's been so good to just have an open channel to both just give, give your point of view and someone to mediate that like we're not fighting or thinking of separating or anything but it just hearing hearing somebody else say oh well I felt like this about that situation has been really helpful so if you are finding it really hard or if you're already stressed while you're pregnant it's, I think it's really good to have therapy and I'm a bit biased my mum's a psychologist so we're all about it in my house she doesn't like, give you this conversations <laughs> is so important yeah she doesn't do you though does she does she is she a psychologist oh, no, she doesn't do me, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that would be my mum would be biased nah actually she'd probably be more biased yeah. to griffo in saying that <laughs> oh yeah that's and talking about i think talking about domestic duties and expectations before before you have the baby as well 
is mm. like helpful. And even money as well, I think, and that kind of yeah. stuff. And I know for me, I was going to go back to work. And so money is a big trigger for grief. And we've spoke about that here and that. And so for me to decide not to go back to work, that really did put pressure on our relationship um, because I changed my mind. And you might, people might change their minds as well after they've had baby because like I, you know, was like I became everything that I feared <laughs> about being a mum. But yeah, I think that's awesome that you're seeing a therapist and, you know, or psychologist or whatever. Um, therapist is so American, isn't it? But um, I... Yeah. I've oh, it's funny, we did it on Zoom. You can do, do it love... quite easily with Zoom now that everyone's doing COVID stuff. So yeah, funny. that's <laughs> awesome. And it's so true. It just helps you sometimes if you're, if you're a bit shitty in communicating, which I think we all can be at times, um, they, they just help you give the other person like perspective of like what the other person's going through and just helps you, like you said, mediate some conversations that might be a bit uncomfortable for one of you to have. And it's your internal dialogue too. You're assuming what they're thinking, but until you really have that clear conversation, they're like, oh, I wasn't thinking that at all. It's like, oh, good. Now I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's all those bullshit stories that you make up in your head and then that's what happens with the miscommunication a lot of the time. And I do think that sometimes we think that they're, they're mind readers when they are quite simple folk (laughs) yeah and then where all the complex get a a whiteboard is my other tip yeah the things that you that are happening for the week and things that you expectations as well just make it clear for them yeah and I think that's been a big thing for us like we you know I'm I make sure we do like kind of mental health check-ins um because you know having suffered from anxiety and and Griffo he's really struggled as a dad in his identity and all that kind of thing that's why he really needed to get away with the boys this weekend um it, it was something you know and he struggles like with patience with Memphis and I don't think I think this is a bit taboo as well or just that guys don't talk as much as girls but um, don't you reckon with guys they like they don't really talk about how much it changes for them and I know that we focus so much on the women because yeah we did carry the baby and this and that but the guys actually really struggle and they don't have as many outlets as the women do yeah definitely and my husband a lot of his friends haven't had kids yet so he hasn't got that outlet with his friendship circle which is challenging whereas all my girlfriends have got kids so it's all we talk about yeah, yeah. And I think that's just kind of what we do as women. And, you know, we sit down and we natter over it. Like, you know, we check in with our relationships and, you know, we tell each other a lot. Whereas guys, it's just kind of, yeah. Whereas when I spoke to a couple of guys last week um, of friends, you know, that have um, babies, I said, oh, how did you guys go? Like, how was your patience and stuff? Because that's where Griffo really struggles. Like, he's just he goes, I just struggle like with patience with Memph and he settles for you. So he's having like a little bit of a hard time and his mate goes, oh my God, exactly the same thing I went through and, you know, didn't want to have a kid straight after like any more kids, but now their um, child is two and a half. He's like, I'm ready to go again because he's got that beautiful connection and now their little boy is all about dad. Yeah, and I think feeding plays a big role in that as well. Like they're naturally drawn to mum for the smell of her as well. So I think when when you stop feeding, I feel like it opens up more of an opportunity for the dads. Yeah, okay, I'm never stopping feeding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, so good. They still prefer me even at six. Yeah. You've still got the milky smell though, so. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm always milky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's it. Like, however, I think that's another big one. And uh, we've talked about it before. However you're feeding, boob, 
bottle, whatever, like it's so fine. Your baby is a fed baby. Yeah. That like, you know, that's awesome. Yes, definitely. Oh, well, Sophie, thank you so much for joining me today in your car. I'm sitting in the cupboard. Um, I love that you've filled in for Griffo. And if people do want to find you, what's your website? It's AustralianBirthStories.com. And you are just inundated with birth stories, aren't you? Like everyone just wants to tell yeah, their birth story. Don't send me your birth story if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> what about on? I'm going to be opening up applications at the end of the year, but I'm yeah, I'm inundated. But um, but listen, yeah, plenty of great stories. Yeah, 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 and definitely listen. And also, you're celebrating your third birthday at the moment with almost three million downloads, and you've got a special going on as well. Yeah, so I've got a, um, another audio series called Postpartum Life After Birth where I interview healthcare professionals about, um, yeah, setting yourself up for postpartum and that, that first kind of year post-baby, which is all about what you do as well. Um, but at the moment you can get $10 off with the code birthday, but you can find Amazing. out all that information over at australianbirthstories.com. Oh, so good, Soph. Like, I love what you're doing. Like I said, I was obsessed when I fell pregnant, um, you know, to hear all your stories and all my friends love it. When I told them I was getting you on the podcast today, they were like, oh, my God, we love Sophie. She's amazing. So, um, (laughs) and that's what I said to you. You let me tell my birth story today. You just hold so much awesome space for people and it is truly a beautiful thing that you do. And, you know, like, I, you know, I got off because being a broadcaster, I was like, Soph, was it okay? Was it okay? Like I need validation. And um, because like we were saying, like when you are telling your birth story, you have so many aha moments and then you kind of go off on tangents and this and that. But, um, you know, you're learning more about it and it's kind of therapy. And I think that you just hold such an amazing space for people. And it's so amazing. Like it's turned into a business and a lifestyle. And yeah, you've met some amazing people and you're amazing. I just wanted to tell you that. Oh, you're pretty great yourself, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll never get Griffo back on here. I'll just get Sophie on every week. Yeah, we'll just let's keep... <laughs> just have our own show. <laughs> <laughs> just keep giving each other compliments as well. Well, if um yep. <laughs> if, if if sex does hurt, make sure a few people have messaged me about this. It's called Vagifem. <laughs> yeah for all those yeah but thank you so much so for your honesty and like i said you're a bloody legend for um to get around sophie make sure you check out australian birth stories um if you're loving our podcast please rate and review on itunes jump on the private facebook group first time parents like we said it's it's unedited unfiltered we do it we're a one take wonders around here um but if you are loving it we'd love you to get around it and um hopefully my husband arrives back safely from from the boys trip if not Sophie will be back next week <laughs> thanks so <laughs> see Thank you. see everyone lots of love bye